do it welcome back kings of the podcast episode 132 uh dennis bernstein bonjour i guess is what i'm supposed to say is that right when you come back from montreal uh, yeah it's still during the day not my nighttime crawling so it'll be bienvenue oh a montreal oh, be- night. but uh, yeah uh, so uh yeah it, bonjour is good but uh, okay yeah, well, my uh my legs and my, my my legs and my liver need a rest so uh, i'm glad to be glad to be back in la well here's the thing db um we, we have a lot to get to today. We have Mark Unetti, who's going to join us uh, in the second period. And we'll, of course, do our annual draft debrief and prospect discussion with him. But you were at the draft in Montreal. Uh, I skipped the draft this year, Dennis. However, word has already come out that next year the draft is likely to be in Nashville. I'm putting in my reservations right now. I'm not skipping the draft in Nashville. Uh, <laughs> will your liver be recovered enough in time to go to Nashville next year? Well, you need prepared to hear me sing uh, "Friends in Low Places" at, uh, at uh, Tootsie's. <laughs> so that's what you prepare yourself first for. Here's what I heard about Nashville. Montreal was such a grand slam for the league. There was scuttle about them bringing it back to Montreal next year as well. But more than likely, it's good, it is going to go to Nashville. A, a great time, a great event. The fact that we were just all in the building, a full building, everybody on the floor, including me. I. I Somehow, it's a miracle of life. I, I got to go on the floor because of Sirius XM. But uh, yeah, it's it's things are normal, John. It, I, you know, I I know that things can happen in the world, but uh, that night uh, was a, a special night because uh, you know how I feel about just us getting back to normal. It was a great event, a great night, and when Montreal has the first pick and it's a Bell Center, how's drama get any better? And with Shane Wright glaring down the the Montreal draft table after going fourth, uh, it was a very memorable night. And uh, yeah, you need to get to national next year. We, well, I will have already been there because I'm headed there in November to go to the Broncos game. So I, I will have already had my recent taste of Nashville, but I absolutely will be there um, for the draft next year uh, if everything holds because it sounded like a lot of fun. Uh, it sounds like the idea of is, is, would be a lot of fun being in Nashville. But, but DB, um, everybody, I mean, everybody across the board has been raving about this particular draft and, and being together and all that sort of stuff. We've joked before about Bettman sort of trolling the fans or the media at times. And come on, DB, he knew exactly what he was doing as Shane Wright was falling down the board and Montreal was getting ready to pick again. And he said, we have a trade to announce. You know what all of the Habs fans were thinking. They thought, here we go. We're making a trade. He's coming to Montreal, Montreal. Uh, and that didn't happen. I don't know. I found that to be rather humorous. Gary being Gary. Yeah, and Gary, 
he was prepping to be Gary. Now he had three <laughs> years off, right? This is the first yeah, draft, right. draft in three years, and he was at his finest, John. I think you were you were throwing some Vince McMahon's references out by uh, <laughs> by a text to me, but uh, yeah, he it just in the moment it was just a great celebrate. Look, this is a wild and crazy and great season, but just to end it on this note in Montreal, with the draft was just uh, kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah, that first hour, man, it, it felt like the draft was drunk and everybody was off the rails, the trades and the stuff that was going on. And yeah, Bettman uh, asking, you know, why can't he get any of those cheers that were going around for some of the other people? I mean, it was just fantastic stuff. Uh, so so beyond just being there and the overall buzz and, and you know, the Canadians in their storied history, everything they do is just so classy. Right. And so, um, but besides that, from an LA Kings perspective, what, what were some of your takeaways uh, from the draft, having an opportunity to, to interact and interview with some of the picks and things like that? Just tell us more about your experience. Well, I just, the only cat I spoke to was Jack Hughes. And I think Jack welcomed my questions because the other 25 questions were about Montreal and his dad and did his dad tell him who he's going to pick and all those other things. So that nobody, and I get it, right? He's the GM of the Montreal Canadiens' son that drafts in uh, – he's the son of the GM there, drafts in Montreal. But Jack was um, – he's never been to L.A. He's looking forward to it. Uh, I, I know all these kids are small when they come out and get drafted, but he, he said he's got to work on his speed and his strength. That He's small, but he's – and again, John, it's again – it's the profile that this team drafts, not physically but mentally, a very, very buttoned-down a kid who knows how to answer questions in complete sentences, really articulate. He's at Northeastern this first year. And I asked him, I said, you know, this is the King style of checking speed. He goes, I think I can assimilate to that, but I have to work on my speed. I got to work on my strength, but a very cool, calm and collected kid. Cause he's been around, right. Executives and agents in this league forever since his dad's been an agent now a GM. Uh, he could fit. It's going to take a while, but uh, I was really impressed with the kid. I think it, again, it just goes to the the quality of the individual that this organization uh, drafts. And, and Jack certainly is in line with the, the kids they've brought along with, at least from a maturity standpoint, he, he looks mature beyond his years, even though physically he has some ways to go before he's going to play in the league. Yeah. Um, when you're, when you're there, I'm just curious you were at the draft in 2010 in Los Angeles as well. Right. And the, the, the yes. pacing, mm-hmm. The pacing of the draft has changed uh, through the years. And I'm just curious, it felt like day two was at a fast and furious pace. Did it feel that way there in the building? Or or is it hard to say just, uh, you know, having been away from it for a couple of years and, you know, doing it via Zoom, which has its own feel? No, you, you're spot on, John. Here's, it, I cut it up into three parts. The first half of the draft, like you said, was drunk because all that activity was happening and it was craziness and the fans are going nuts. The second half of the draft, the first night was boring. There was really not much going on. The th- and people don't understand, like, why does it take four hours for the first round and, four, you know, four hours for the other three, six rounds in the second day? Even though they have three minutes for every pick, they don't really change that. And here's why, right? Nobody gets up on stage in, game two, in day two and makes speeches and thanks uh, the Canadians and congratulates Joe Sackick. And the, right. there's no hugging in the stands and they're not walking down. They put the shirt, the jersey on there. It's 10 minutes. It's not three minutes. Right. So, yeah. So the pacing was because of the activity, it seemed faster. But, you know, it was from 7 to 11 on Thursday night. It's a different deal. You know it. You've been there. It's call the name, move on, call the name, move on, trade, whatever, move on. There's no night one is an event. Pomp and circumstance, game day two, it's business, John. 
It's the business of gathering prospects. That's all it is. And that's why it goes so much faster. So you're absolutely right that the pace was very quick. Plus, you know, after partying in Montreal Thursday night, people want to get out of there on Friday, uh, Friday afternoon to, to rest up for Friday night. Yeah. What about the, um, what about, uh, you know, you, you're wearing two different hats. And so you're going from, you know, you're doing the Sirius XM stuff and you're focused on, you know, 32 teams, but LA didn't have anything going on uh, uh, the first night of the right. draft. D- did it feel from that perspective at all? I don't know if boring is the right word or maybe disconnected, but did, did was any of that going on? Because I'm just, I'm just curious, right? Like uh, from my perspective, yeah. for example, I'm watching and I'm, I'm excited and glued to what's going on with the different teams being, you know, heavily invested in the prospect side of things. And where is this guy going? Where's that guy going? And mm-hmm. I'm sort of, working my list as well that I had put out on mayor's manor about what, what, uh, what the Kings might be looking at for the next day. So I might be scratching some names off, but from your perspective at all, did, did you get that sense? I'm just curious. Did you feel disconnected at all from, from that? Or there's just so much going on for you that you're not, you're not really having that feeling. Yeah. And see, and my focus changes now with Sirius XM because I can't look, do I want to focus on the Kings? Of course I met and, Here's your favorite saying, John. I managed my expectations because the Kings were going to 51. You and I both know they weren't going to trade up into the first round. Right. And Jack Hughes, he might be a player, but he's not going to be an impact player next season. So I could I could dial that down. Would I have liked Roth to trade in the first round and make a trade on <laughs> one? Of course. But we knew that wasn't going to happen, right? I'm always looking for that, right? You you're, still, you're still oh, stumping Roth for it even right? after it already happened, didn't happen. <laughs> exactly. Like, but but okay. kudos to you in, in day two, John, because um, – when you got drafted, I didn't have the time to read your 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 uh, pre-draft profiles and stuff like that. And I, I looked at the list of names and it, the list that of players that could slide up. The first list, the first guy listed, Jack Hughes. <laughs> I'm like, friggin' mayor. Thank you. <laughs> it's friggin' guy. Hey man, you have to you have to put the work in ahead of time. You have to do the pre-work. You have to talk to the right yeah, people. Totally, bro. But it's just it's just. It's not, it's not ironic. It's not funny. It's just like, okay, I should have known better. I should have looked at this first. Well, here, you know, you, you, thank you. Um, you love to, uh, you love to tease me also about the fact that I can be so hard on myself at times when I, when something doesn't go right. the way that I had thought it would or planned or whatever, especially after spending a lot of hours and hours on, on doing something. So there were two or three players, uh, Connors, uh, Otto, I think uh, Jack Hughes, you know, those sorts of things that were mm-hmm. on, that were on my list and kind of projected where the Kings might be doing. But you know, the Angus pick really bothered me because it wasn't on my list. So here I am, I'm beating myself up over it, you know, because I didn't have it there. So yeah, that was, I was, so on on one hand you're saying, yeah, mayor being mayor, uh, having the Jack Hughes pick at 51, that's yeah. true, but also privately mayor being mayor, beating himself up uh, when he wasn't ready on the Angus Booth pick. So there's that too as well. So I'll have to make up for that at development camp this week and really get to know the kid and, and that sort of thing. For sure. um, it wasn't the only news coming out of the draft, DB. You, you not only did you have seven prospects that were yeah. selected by the Kings, um, and we'll we'll ask Mark Unetti about those players and whatnot, but uh, Adrian Kempe, a little bit of a uh, little news there going on. Yep. And you, yeah, you happen to be right, you happen to be right in the thick of that. Yeah. Yeah, right in the thick of that. I got in like, well, okay, I better run to Twitter and do this. So yeah, so it's nice to get like seven hundred likes on a uh, on a tweet. But yeah, so look, we saw it coming for you. Hey, look. I don't know how you could get any better than that. It solidifies the top six. It's a, a, a nice price in the ballpark that we figured, 5.5. And now he's he's locked in here to free agency. So uh, just, you know, 
what don't you like? There's nothing not to like about this deal, assuming he's going to replicate his. And I know people are talking about what about Fiala at 7.9? And just look at the assist column, and you know why Fiala got 7.9 and Adrian got 5.5. But a fair deal, nice raise. He went from 2 million to 5.5. They got it done before qualifying these um, a couple of restricted free agents that you might want to talk about today. So uh, just a nice deal for both the LA and Adrian Kempe. Good for him. Well, it's more than just the assist. I mean, just to, to talk about this for a second, I know today is really about the draft. Um, so we'll, we'll stick to try to the, the, the prospects and the draft, and that sort of thing. But to focus on the thing that you just said there, um, it, looking at the, the, uh, the Brock Besser contract is another one where you look at games played, points per game, goals per game, et cetera. Um, because some people had tried to draw a comparison back to that contract. Uh, Besser was in at six and a half million and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. But just, mm-hmm. just look at the comparables. Besser, 324 games. Kempe, 390 games. So those two numbers are very similar. 0.79 on the points per game for Besser. 0.48 on the points per game for Kempe. Those are two different numbers. I'm not, I'm not trying to dog on Kempe. I'm just saying that when people try to draw right. comparables, they say things like, oh, he only had one 30-goal season. Well, when you're getting a contract, it's not only based upon what you did last year. It's more or less your – it's not necessarily your body of work, but it's, you know, go back and look – over the last three seasons, what has a player done? And then project forward over the next three, four, five seasons, mm-hmm. what a player is going to do. And that's what you have to do. So when you look at Besser and you look at Kempe, Besser is contributing more points per game. He's also contributing more goals per game in that roughly same number of NHL games played. Besser is at 0.37 goals per game and Kempe is at 0.23 goals per game. And Besser had four seasons of 20 plus goals and Kempe only had one. So there's more to it. And you could do the same thing with Fiala as well. You could pick any player here, DB. I'm just saying our favorite word on this program, context. I'm just saying the context of the Kempe contract is very important. And you are paying him for, like I just said, the balance of, or excuse me, the body of work over the last three seasons, which does include the big breakout year last year. But you're also paying him for what you're projecting for the next three seasons. And when it comes to Fiala, he just has done it more on a consistent basis. Uh, and, and that's why he ended up getting the bigger the bigger money deal. So, hey, no complaints at 5.5. That's where we uh, had him penciled in. That's where you and I had talked about numerous times on this show. Um, figured it would be five. They ended up getting four. That's okay. It gives them a little bit of cost certainty. And uh, we'll have to see where things go from there. Yeah. Uh, the difference between Adrian Kempe and Kevin Fiala, and I mentioned this, Adrian's a goal scorer at this point, and it's progression, right? I mean, if he went from 18 to 30, from 35 to 18, he's like, okay, he, he wouldn't he'd be getting that raise. Kevin Vial's a playmaker, and that's, you know, he's he's not Johnny Goudreau, but when you see the, you know, 85 points and he only had 33 goals, that's a lot of assists that's going to make the team better and probably helps Adrian, right? He's going to make passes, passes that the other guys on that line couldn't do. So it, it's certainly an upgrade. Like, I don't know how you argue that. I know some knuckleheads out there saying, well, Kevin Fiala didn't do crap in the playoffs. I'm like, please, you're worried about the playoffs? Next playoffs? Like, get to the, this division's going to be tougher yes. this season because yes. um, Vancouver's going to be better. Vegas is going to be healthy. And we could talk about this in the future. And Jack Campbell is going to come to the Edmonton Oilers, so that should be very interesting, John. Oh, you're trying to trying to break some news there. I see, Dennis, trying to just slip that in there. So, so what you're saying is John Gibson is not Jack going Campbell's to Edmonton. Going to wind up in Edmonton. So where does Jack? Uh, no. Where does John Gibson end up then? John Gibson isn't going anywhere. He's happy. Think- he he already refused a deal to Buffalo. I think Darcy Kemper is going to wind up in Washington. And Jack's going to be, and I think it's going to, and I don't know why this is what they're doing this, John, but you're going to love this one. Matt Murray's probably going to go from Ottawa to Toronto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you saw, you saw also that the agent or, or somebody came out over the weekend and said that 
he didn't want to go to Toronto. And see, that's the other piece of this Gibson deal is that, yes, he has, I think it's a 10, 8 or 10 yeah. team uh, uh, trade, no trade deal. So mm-hmm. he, he, he can somewhat control where he goes. But DB, that contract is also part of the issue. So you almost have to be like, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? If you want to get out of Anaheim and you want to, you want to try to win something, well, you're going to have to maybe open your mind a little bit to the area that you would want to go. And I was just a little bit floored by that. Um, I don't want to make this all about Gibson, but why wouldn't he want to go to the Toronto Maple Leafs? I mean, if you think about which team is more likely to win a cup in the next five years, with all due respect to Anaheim, one team is in rebuild mode, one team is in win mode now, uh, win now mode. Um, why would you not want to go play in Toronto? Uh, some players don't like the bright lights and the 25 media in the every in the room every night, and you know five newspapers. Some people don't like that. And the, yeah. but the challenge with John Gibson is, John, you have to make sure that this is the, based on that contract with the term and the number left, the AAV. You got to make sure this is the guy. You got this is the guy that's putting us over. This is Darcy Kemper for us, and we're going to win a cup with John Gibson because that's a long-term deal you're going to have to sign on for. And if you move him and he doesn't play well, you're stuck with that deal for four, four years after next season. So yeah. that's the other thing that impacts it. That maybe teams that are contending that would want this player from his from his talent standpoint, they may not want to commit to a, to that much term uh, at over six, at six million a year. Yeah, and then you have to start to wonder about Anaheim, which is notoriously a team that doesn't spend freely. Um, would they want, would they be willing to retain salary? And if so, how much, you know, to sort of buy, buy down some of that, that risk associated with the contract um, or some of the concern, maybe it's not risk. Maybe it's just concern. I'll say this though, DB people that play with him and coaches that I speak with that are goaltender, you know, that that know a lot about the position and whatnot. They rave about the guy. They love John Gibson. I hear people talking about John Gibson Mm -hmm. the same way that I used to hear people talk about Jonathan quick pre 2012, which is like, this guy is a Stanley cup winning goaltender, just waiting to happen. He needs to be in the right situation and he can help a team get over the hump. And you look at around the league and goaltending typically is that thing that needs to help players get over the hump. Maybe Darcy Kemper winning a cup in, in, in Colorado, uh, is giving teams the impression that, hey, you don't have to have an elite goaltender. Uh, but I'll say this, Dennis, it certainly makes things a lot easier when you do have an elite goaltender. Well, he, he, he the elite goaltender was in the cup final again and lost this time in Andre Vasilevsky. So it, it depends. Here's the thing. That Colorado team was so frigging good. Like, that's why Darcy Kemper won a cup. Now, I'll say this. Darcy was good in four and he was good in six. So it's, it wasn't like he was a bum every game and they had to outscore the opposition. But Shesterkin, uh Vasilevsky, more than likely, if you want to get to the elite, you're going to have to need that elite goalie. But again, it, it's it's easier to save pucks when Bo Byram and Cam McCarr are standing in front of you and helping you clear the zone and, and not too many chances against you. Which is kind of my point, though, right? That if you're if your team is not elite in every other area, right? If you I should say it differently, if you're elite in every other area, you can afford to have less than elite goaltending and possibly still win. But my point stands, which is, no matter what you have in front of you, it certainly is a lot easier to win when you have elite goaltending. So if you have an opportunity to upgrade at the goaltending position, why why would you? risk not having an elite goaltender there it just seems a little backwards to me but uh, i don't know maybe i have dean lombardi in my ear talking about build from the net out or something i'm not really sure but marcel dion always said the same thing too he said that you need five and he wasn't the only one i don't want to credit dion but you 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 know you need those five key boxes filled before you become legit which is one goaltender two centers and two defensemen so if you don't have 
an elite goaltender, you don't, you don't have that one box filled, you know? Uh, so uh, the Kings were always in that position as well, right? They had, you know, from a core four perspective, you, you look at who they had. Brown was the, the interesting one because he was a winger. He didn't fill one of those boxes. And so Carter kind of filled one of the center boxes. Right. And then and then they went out and acquired through a Willie Mitchell or a Rob Scuderi or even a Robin Regeer later to, to, to give them that that second defenseman to fill those five positions in the uh, final minute or two here, as we wrap up the first period, before we bring in Mark Unetti, non Kings related, there were other things happening at the trade. Dennis, do you have any parting thoughts on what Ottawa uh, was able to do, what Montreal was able to do, or really more specifically um, the scorched earth approach that the Chicago Blackhawks are going, going after mm-hmm. right now. I, I said this on Saturday on CSXM about Chicago, John. So uh, they want to get younger. They want to rebuild. They traded a 24-year-old 40-goal scorer and a 21-year-old center. So what are they going to draft a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old? Is that, is that how they're going to get younger? How do they get any younger than 24 and 21? The guy's a 40-goal scorer. They, they are going for Connor Bedard. That's what they want. That's what they're doing. And they didn't qualify Strom. It's just they're just burning it. To, they burn it to the ground. And here's the other, one more point, and then you can close. Um, you know, before, Patrick Kane would not wave. To leave Chicago. They asked him before a couple months ago. I said, I don't want to wave. They go, Oh, right, really? How about if we trade your 40 goals? <laughs> you want to wave now? Maybe you want to wave now. So, it's, so what you're saying Anybody is, else? Was, maybe Seth Jones. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one's taking that contract. But what you're telling me it was a hold my beer moment then. So he said, No, they said, Hold my beer. And then he, yeah. they went out and did their, and did their thing. Yeah. Uh, there was also a little bit of, a, of an overpayment too uh, in one of those deals there when you go first round pick. And, and several other second round picks when you probably didn't need to put all that in there if you added up the, the the value. But it's also weird that people were trying to draw the comparable to the Kevin Fiala trade. And that part I didn't get. I was getting questions from Kings fans. I don't know if you did. Um, and they were like, hey, well, wh- why why trade what they traded for Kevin Fiala? Why didn't they just trade that for Dabrinkit? Um, well, those are two totally different situations uh, in terms of value. And the Kings gave up 19. 19 has a way less of a value compared to a top five overall pick. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just totally, totally different. And maybe, maybe we need to talk to Yank about that and, or do a whole show on uh, uh, the value of a pick. Right. But if, if people want to get into the numerology side of it, and I don't mean numerology, like we normally do, and we will do when we have Fiala on at 22, but the numerology of getting into the math side of it, of what's the value of a pick at five, what's the value of a pick at 25 and what's the value of a pick at 55. Right. right? I was, it's uh totally different values. Uh, all second round picks are not created equal DB. No. And please, you, you, you got a thir- 85 point player for nobody on the roster. Yeah. Okay. Just stop asking about the Brinkett. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on and see if, stop. see if Blake has a trade uh, in the wings for defensive help this year, or if it's going to all come down to trying to shoehorn, you know, eight guys into uh, seven spots and, and moving uh, Sean Walker over to the left side. We'll deal with roster stuff later. Today's focusing on the draft. DB, on the other side of the break, we will bring in the director of amateur scouting for the LA Kings, one of our uh, favorite and most popular guests on the program, Mark Yanetti. He, he may have a thing or two to say, DB. We'll be back right after the break.
Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. Uh, we're joined by somebody now who's been on the program quite a few times, and I, I would say he's probably our most popular guest based upon uh, the numbers and downloads and streams and all that sort of stuff. Talking about Mark Unetti, Director of Amateur Scouting for the LA Kings. Yank, what's happening? How much? If I'm your most popular guest, geez, I thought your podcast was popular. <laughs> we are. We are the number one uh, hockey podcast here in Southern California, and uh, we're top 10 on sports podcasts quite often, actually, according to the, the charts or whatever. But hey, this isn't about backslapping for us. It's about <laughs> backslapping for you and your staff, which uh, do such a phenomenal job. Um, but first, I mean, I have so many things to cover with you today. However, uh, out of respect, I'd like to start with some of your staff, actually, because uh, a big change that was announced here, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago. Time is irrelevant right now. Do you feel that same way that, like, ever since COVID, it's hard to keep track of time? Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 you got a 24-hour workday now. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, every day is Sunday or every day is Monday. I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know exactly when it was, so I apologize. It feels like it was about six or eight weeks ago. But Tony Gasparini, uh, Gaspo, as he is affectionately referred to by many people in the scouting community, and you've talked about him before on the podcast, uh, Gaspo's leaving. He's going to go be the GM of a USHL club. And so I just wanted to start there, give you a few minutes to, you know, maybe tell a, a fun Gaspo story. And um, also maybe at the same time, just talk about what, you know, what is it like when a guy is leaving, he's going to fill out his or, or finish his commitment, his contract with the team, but knowing that he's leaving, just what, what is that situation sort of like? Oh, it's awkward. I mean, nobody wanted him in the room. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, you know, it, it, it's been a long time coming. I mean, this guy wore out his welcome about seven, eight years ago. Um, and I don't know, he's just hanging on like some jaded cop, like <laughs> trying to collect on his, on his paycheck. Like, sure. uh, you know, <laughs> So yeah, no, I mean it's been it's 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 thank God I don't have to, you know, he can now he can now just kind of fade into the background in the next nineteen days and we don't have to deal with him. Uh, no, it, Gaspo is a, a tremendous, uh, you know, it, it, he's a tremendous loss. Um, you know, he was there before I was in LA. Uh, you know, and it, it's it's tough. I I've known Tony longer than I've known Tony longer than anyone I worked with, and. Uh, you know, he, he was a guy that I didn't bring in. Um, you know, he was a guy that was there in the staff beforehand and one of only two guys, uh, that, that managed to hang on, um, <clears throat> Dean's initial purge in that, in that, in that first year in January. So, uh, it, it's going to be, it's going to be strange. I mean, Tony is, he's unbelievably connected, uh, his, his work ethic his you know, he's helped us find so many of these, you know, mid, mid to late gems, uh, you know, just by being so plugged in and so into the pulse, uh, he's he's able to he's able to uncover some some really some some really un, unmanned or or, or underscouted talent, and uh, it's going to be hard to replace that. So, you know, it, it, you know, Teddy's you know Teddy learned under under Tony, so they're they're very close and, and they have some similar methodologies. But uh, you know, even personally, it'll leave a it'll leave a little bit of a hole. Like Tony's one of the first guys. Uh, one of the first guys I've been friends with, like, I'm, you know, there's two, there's two, there's two type of people. There's, well, there's a lot of people actually, but there's professional, you know, there's fucking, fuck, there's people you hate too. So there's, listen, there's a whole lot of people, but in terms of friends, when you're working, there's two types of friends, there's professional friends and there's personal friends. Yes. Um, and very rarely have I not been per, uh, professional friends with people I've worked with. Like there's plenty of guys who work with me where I'm, you know, I'm not their cup of tea, and that's 
perfectly all right, and, and the same goes uh, the other way. Um, but you usually, very rarely do you have more than one or two people in an organization that you're not professional friends with, where there's a respect or an ability to get along or whatever. Um, and in Toronto, um, the way it was structured, it, you know, it was very professional and everybody got along and they're professional friends and, and, and they went their, their own ways. Uh, so Tony was one of my first professional friends that ended up becoming a, a personal friend. You no, know, we had a little talk with the whole staff. Uh, you know, I, I ate dinner at Tony's house multiple times. You know, first time I ate dinner at Tony's house, he, he comes to my house, uh, and I, I made chicken parmesan from scratch, my own special gravy uh, sauce, you guys call it. Um, you know, 24 hours in the in, in the cooker, tiramisu, all that, laid it all out for Tony. I go to his house like fucking three months later, and his daughter makes me pancakes for dinner, and then I wasn't cutting them right. So I'm at the table, I'm at the table, and, and, and Gianna's cutting my pancakes for me and making sure that's the right amount of syrup. And, and the right amount of, you know, the squares, I, I guess I was being a pig. I was stuffing giant squares of pancakes in my mouth because I was so damn hungry. I didn't eat expecting I was going to get a feast like he got at my house. So I got there and it was fucking pancakes. Yeah, thanks a, thanks a lot, Tony. Have fun in your new career. Okay. So. so No, it was fun. You know, as, as I said, I, I, it's the first time I've ever really done something like that. Uh, so it was a cool thing. It was, it was a really unique experience, pancakes aside. Uh, and I learned I learned a new way to cut pancakes as well. So, so I I, I filled I rounded out uh, a skill set there. Okay. So, uh, look, I want to ask you about there's. Oh, how about this? Uh, I want to get to the players later. So let's not do a debrief on Jackie. Sure. But for those that don't know, uh, Gaspo is or, or was uh, really the guru of the American players. So how fitting was it that Jack Hughes? was there at 51 and that it in Tony's, you know, final draft as a member of the LA Kings, it's a U.S. player that goes with your first pick. That was kind of pr- pretty cool. I would say. Yeah, no, I mean, serendipity or whatever you want to say, if you want to sound smart, use a big word. Um, <laughs> like, no, it was great. It was cool. Um, you know, it would have been the only way it would have been better, uh, is if we, you know, if you drafted, uh, I don't know, Carter Gauthier with the 19th overall pick after he went on a, crazy slide and Tony got to announce it on the stage or, or Nazara, one of those guys. That, sure. that would have been the only, the only better way, but no, it was, it was, as I said, in terms of, in terms of his last draft being there and, and drafting a guy and, and he was heavily involved in scouting him, but it was, it's certainly a nice thing. All right, so we'll get to Jack later. I have one other scout that I want to ask you about because, you know, every year on mayorsmanner.com, we put out a, a preview uh, prediction section of what we think the Kings might be doing at the draft and who they might be looking at and whatnot. And one of the comments that was worked in there uh, came from some of the the pre-draft work and talking to various people. And that was, it, it kind of felt like, it looked like the Kings were going to go heavy Canadian and European players with their first couple of picks, 51, and then in the third round, whatnot. Of course, the minute that it's written, that means you guys are going to take all Americans. You know, that's just the way that it goes. But where I'm going with this is, uh, I'm not sure if he'll ever admit it, but I think there's a tinge of Christian Rutu that's still a little bit butthurt that Stutzla didn't get picked uh, a few years back. So he had to be excited coming into the draft this year, thinking this is it, man. We're going to go heavy Europeans, and uh, it, it doesn't happen. He gets another American there, uh, there with the first pick. Is is Rutu okay is what I'm getting at. I'm going to see him around development camp this week, and I want to make sure that he's okay. Is he okay? Yeah, there's only, okay? only one European like, that was taken. Is he ever okay? Uh, Rutu, you know what? It's hard with Rutu. Rutu hates Europeans. Nobody knows that. Wait, wait, like he is, wait, he, hates, he hates Europeans. He, 
every time we have a European high on the list, he tries to even take him off the list. Like he wanted, he didn't even want, he didn't even want Slavkovsky on our list this year. It took, it took me, it took me three months to convince him that Slavkovsky should even be in our first round. No. So, no, I did. He didn't want Salon. I had to force him to take Salon uh, late in the draft. Okay. Um, no, of course, of course. We, listen, here's the funny thing. I, I'm dead serious about this. If you had called me and asked me on Wednesday, um, well, if we had our first pick at 19, I would have been, I would have said it would almost guarantee, if we picked at 19, I would have almost guaranteed it was a European. You know, I ain't going to say that before the draft, but, but yeah, I would have said uh, at 19, I would have been shocked if we didn't pick a European. At 51, I would have laid rent money that it would either be a European or a Canadian, um, just based on how the draft looked like it was falling, uh, especially after the first round, what was available, where we had guys rated. I, I would have said it was a three to one chance, 75% chance uh, that we would go uh, Euro or Canadian uh, at 51. And then our drafters just went, yeah. and every single guy got picked. And, and it, it's not that it's not that that's bad. It's just, I think we had, I got to go back and look. I think we had two Americans uh, between... Uh, thirty-five. I, you know, don't quote me. Between thirty-five and and, and fifty-one, maybe three Americans. Um, and <laughs> the only the only one left was uh, was Hughes. Mm-hmm. The only player left is Hughes. So Ruth is okay though. Uh, that was my point. He's okay that we didn't take a European. He's not okay that the European we wanted, you know, it, it wasn't there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we, we there were two guys. We thought one of them would be there. He wasn't. You know. So, so how about this though? When, when you say that, that, Hey, these guys that we had ranked higher and they're, you know, they're going, um, uh, you know, and they're gone. Is there a part of you at, at any moment, obviously not in the heat of the moment at the draft, you're pissed because now you're, you know, you're going to a different guy on your list, but is there ever a moment where you look back on it and go, Hey, that's kind of validation for what we thought of that player that other teams, uh, thought that of that player so highly that they would take them. Is there any of that thought at all or no? Well, yes and no. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously like, you know, is it a, but you know, I uh, fuck the other teams. I hope they, I want them to, I don't want them to, uh, you know, now, now if I say our list is the same, I have to think they're as good as us or better or, or on a par. I, no, I don't want to admit that to myself. So, you know, you get, you, it, it's great. Like, yeah, like all these guys are going every, you know, it, it, it validates that your list is that way, but you know, I, it also, it also hurts a little bit. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's move along because eventually I do want to get to the players. I have a couple of other setup questions here. One of them is I want to compliment you. Congratulations. You had a black suit. I have to say, Yank, um, I don't have a list of all of your suits, but you're known for that sort of uh topi Brown, you know, gray, uh, motif and you're rocking a black suit this year. Is that the first black suit you've ever owned? Uh, it might be the only black suit I own. Um, <laughs> I you're this much. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't even know. You know what? It, 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 it was, you know, it's not like it was. It, I, uh, we're doing a big renovation on my house, so all our stuff's in storage. So uh, <laughs> I think that was literally the only thing I could find. Like, no, I ain't, I ain't lying to you. Like, I didn't even think about it until like the night before I was leaving. I was like, oh shit, I gotta wear a suit. So uh, yeah, we were scrambling around frantically looking for things that would work. And uh, yeah, I was like, it was. That was literally the only thing I could find. So. I'm really disappointed that you found it. It would have been so much better because you're not going to make the time in the night before the draft to go shopping. So if you would have just shown up in like jeans and a polo or something or a t-shirt and workout shorts, that would have been fantastic. 
I think less so career wise, but, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe maybe comedy wise that would have been good. Hey, speak, oh. speaking of career wise, um, from what I understand, <laughs> you have signed an extension, or you're ready to stick around with the LA Kings for a number of years. I don't know what the holdup is. Um, I love LA Kings PR. I'm sure there's a very good reason behind the scenes that I'm not privy to. But uh, GM Rob Blake, from what I understand, has uh, signed a multi year extension. You have signed an extension, so uh, congratulations, and and we look forward to seeing you in Los Angeles here for the next couple of years. Well, if they haven't announced it, it must not. So I, I, I can neither confirm nor oh. deny those rumors. Is that what we're going with? Okay. <laughs> nah, listen, I love being in LA. I, I do. I love I love working for the team. I really like working for Rob. I like working with uh, Nelson and, and all the guys. Luke is unbelievable to our staff. Um, I, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not planning on going anywhere. Um, as soon as they're willing to announce it, I'll confirm it. Okay. Um, let's, let me ask you this because I've asked you in the past and then we'll move on to the players. I've asked you about your relationship with Blake before. And I was thinking about this the other day and I don't know if you would agree with this. Um, I'm going to compartmentalize the, the time that you were with Dean and, and that whole staff into sort of three sections. There was mm -hmm. the, the early couple of years, which is where everybody was kind of trying to get their, their, you know, their sea legs under them, if you will. He hires you and then later he ends up hiring Foots and you guys are co-directors and all this stuff. I won't label it weirdness. I'll just say all this stuff was going on in the early years, figuring things out. And then there was that, that sweet spot, that middle part. And it may have been the longer term of the three sections where things were really humming and you guys were in a rhythm and everything was going great. And then there were, to me, there was the end, whichever time period you want that to be the last year two, three, I don't know. Um, you know, where Dean was chasing and trying to figure things out. And it was, uh, it was chaos, um, in a different way than the chaos at the beginning. So three sort of separate, uh, time periods. This is, this is my evaluation. You can comment here in a second with Rob. I see it as this way. Um, you're in stage two stage, stage one was just the change. It was just, you know, Hey, there's a new general manager and now you guys are going to have to sort of figure things out. And, and Rob has always been extremely complimentary of you from, from day one of taking over every year, going into the draft after the draft, et cetera. And you of him as well. So it wasn't, it wasn't Rocky. It was just still a new relationship. And then now you guys seem to be in that sweet spot in that rhythm section. D does what I'm saying resonate with you? Does it make any sense? Yeah, no, I don't think you. I don't think you uh, misconstrued what, what what it was like in terms of uh, of Dean and the time there. Uh, it was fucking hard in the beginning with Dean. It was hard always with Dean. Um, always hard. Dean Dean's work. Uh, that being said, um, it's worthwhile work. Like I, you know, I, I'm not ashamed to admit this. In in my first year working with Dean, I learned more than in my previous five years working in the NHL. Uh, it was extraordinary and. As I said, you know, we talk about professional. The, the Dean's not everybody's cup of tea. It's not easy to work for Dean. Um, it really isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, between the commitment he expects and, and sometimes the uh, methodology of which he manages, um, it ain't for everybody. And a lot of people didn't last. But if you can deal with it, uh, the ability to learn uh, and be exposed to different things is, is as I said, it's extraordinary. And, and, you know, it was well worth any of the. Uh, as I said, the, the first few years were hard. You can ask Mike, you can ask anybody. Uh, and then that sweet spot, there was nothing better. Right? That sweet spot, everything clicked. It was good. And then the last two or three years, you know, we, we got a lot of things wrong, I think, in those last two or three years. Uh, and w with Rob, it was, it was, it was easier. Uh, the, the integration was, was much easier. Rob's management style is completely different than Dean. 
which is which is funny because it actually took took me it took me a little while to get used to Rob's management management style. Like like he, I, I don't have to say this, but like they, they, you know, I, I I never felt like I was walking on eggshells with Rob, and you know, I felt like if Rob said something, that's what it was. It was no hidden meaning. There was no, uh, you know, no other, you know, other agenda. No, like not, you know, it was Rob said A, it was A. Rob said B, it was B. You know, it was if Rob said he wanted you to do something. It's because he wanted you to do something. Or if he said he wanted it this way, you know, um, and it was hard because every time he'd say something, like, okay, but, you know, what's he really saying? Because Dean, Dean, you know, Dean had Dean would tell you things to get you motivated. Dean would tell you things to make sure when you got a little too high, you know, Dean would tell you something false just so you try to go deeper and, and prove him wrong. Like, like there were always these multiple layers to what Dean was doing, and it was, you know, it was awesome. It was tiring. It was, you know, it was it was hard, as I said. Um, so getting used to a just a more linear and and, and direct, you know, A to B, it, it, it was, it took, it took me a little while. Um, but you know, it, it, it said it was, a, it was, it was a nice change. It was, it's worked out really, really well. Um, so yeah, Robert was, a, it was, it was an easier integration, mm-hmm. uh, but I had worked with Rob for a year. You know, like when I, when I started to work for Dean, I, I didn't know Dean, I knew Michael Carl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was, it was, it was a little easier that way. And, and again, when you've been doing something for as long, you know, as we did with Dean, you know, a, a little change is, is nice. It spurs things on, uh, it, you know, you, you get refreshed in different ways. And, you know, as I said, I welcomed, I, I welcomed it. It was, you know, as I said, I, I can't speak enough of how much I learned under Dean. And, and again, like uh, the fact that we got two cups, like, you know, I mean, like I'm forever grateful because I was able to be put in a position um, to do that only because, well, because of Michael Connell and because of Dean Lombardi. So, uh, you know, that, 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 you know, not a day goes by where I don't consider myself fortunate to have been able to be part of that and be exposed to the things that, that Dean exposed us to. And similarly now with Rob, you know, it's a completely different thing, but now I see the same things happening in a different way. And it's really cool. Um, you know, it's like going back. Uh, I sound like a fucking dork. Uh, it's like going back and watching the new Star Trek movies that J.J. Abrams done. Like, you know, they're com- they're the same exact movie, but there's all of these little twists. Like, you know, like like uh, I'm gonna ruin it for you. If you haven't seen a Star Trek movie by now, you're an idiot. You know, I don't care about ruining it for. But instead of Spock dying, Kirk dies. You know, and and then they re- you know and then they regenerate Kirk. The same. You know, it's, as I said, it's all these same. The outcomes the same, but there's all these little different plot twists that are just juxtaposed against each other. That's kind of how it is right now with Rob, right? Like we're, we're starting to now, we, we made the playoffs a, a little earlier than I thought, than most people thought we would, but, but in terms of, but, but we've done it completely differently, but the result is, is very similar. You know, we built up a prospect pool and now you're seeing the first domino fall with Faber and the 19th pick go. And now you're getting your Fiala instead of, you know, you're getting your Jeff Carter or, 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 or something similar to that. So, um, as I said, you're seeing all these kind of bizarro world similarities happening um, through different methods and, and through different things. And, 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 and when I sit back and evaluate the things, which I probably should do less, uh, <laughs> uh, like, no, it's all, like, like, like it's, you start seeing it. It's just really cool. It's like, 
like I said, it's like you're looking at, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's A to B, but it's like a little bit of a photographic negative. Like you're starting to see some of these same things happening mm-hmm. through a different way of doing it. And, and, and I find it cool. And, and again, I'm going to take some things from, from what we're doing here. I take some things from what we're doing with Dean. I, I get rid of some things that we did with Dean that I don't like or didn't think work. I'll get rid of some things here that I'm, you know, as I said, it's not, you know, there, there's so much good to take from and, you know, and, and so much to learn from each time that it's now building a different way. And, and, I, and I like it. I really, I, I think it's really unique and uh, it's, it's an exciting time now too. So it's, it, it's kind of fun. All right. So you mentioned the prospect pool. Let's start transitioning into talking about the players and, and let's do that by talking about the process because leading into this year's NHL draft, um, it appeared that it was going to be a shift in philosophy that the organization was now going to start to look towards the future. And this seems very odd to say to some people because they're like, what are you talking about? They've developed this, this deep prospect pool. But as you just mentioned, you have uh, some, some of the prospects, which would include draft picks as well. So some of the, the, you know, the assets, if you will, will start to be shipped out as the roster becomes improved. And some of the prospect pool, they're just going to age out and either they're going to graduate guys like Kaliev, Byfield, guys that are already there, uh, or they're going to end up washing out. They're not going to work out and they might be finding uh, AHL players and, and maybe they even sign on and have careers with other NHL teams. Who knows? But not all of those prospects are going to make it to the LA Kings roster. So as this prospect pool, as, as I guess, to continue the metaphor is, is people get out of the pool and, and the pool has less people in it. Now it seemed like the organization was moving towards adding people back into the pool and looking ahead to two years, three years, four years down the road. Is that a fair assessment of the approach to this year, which is the opposite of last year, which was to go with quality over quantity. And this year you, you were going a different direction. Well, I think initially going into the draft, um, that would be the thought. And, and there's a couple of other reasons why, as, or again, as you saw during the draft, um, you know, I think I used the word homogenized. Like there were so many players, they, you know, people, again, people talk about tiers or whatever. Um, there were, you know, in, in years past, we've had tiers of two or four, you know, you, you get a tier of four. That's usually a, a larger tier. Um, you know, you get into tiers this year, your tiers are like, eight, 10, 12 players. So looking at the draft before the draft happened, it would seem that moving back and, and acquiring more picks and still getting players in, because you have bigger tiers now, you can move back um, and still and still expect to get them. Uh, that seemed like a, like a good strategy. I, I thought the quantity, uh, the quality over quantity strategy last year, taking four guys, I thought that was the right time to do it. And now, as as you see, picks are going to be going out. Prospects are going to be going out. Now is the time to, like I said, you don't want to move back for a different tier of player. You don't want to give up. But um, it seemed that this would be a draft that would lend itself to, you know, maybe making a few more picks uh, and and trying to get value in that, and and then kind of preemptively restocking a prospect pool that is going to get thinner. Uh, due to a variety of reasons in the next three years. Now, you have referenced the Thomas Hickey situation on the podcast before. Uh, here's a player who the Kings lost to waivers. He ends up playing 450 games in the NHL. So it was it was a valuable asset that was you know likely mismanaged. When you look at the LA Kings prospect pool as it is currently, and you project... And you go, okay, this guy's probably going to graduate this year. This guy's going to graduate this year. Um, you know... We, we don't have roster spots for this guy. What are we going to do? We can trade this player. We can do something. 
Is that sort of, I don't want to say, is it always in the back of your mind, but, but how omnipresent is that situation of like, Hey, we don't ever want to be in that position again, because it does still seem to bother you all these years later, you know, the, the wasting of that asset. Fuck it. It's a tragedy. Uh, if what, you know, how often is it in my mind? I can tell you the, not Thomas Hickey, the, the, the procedure, um, from, from, from picking him to losing him. And all the steps in between, that is what's always on my mind. It's not, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, pe- people don't know this. During, during Thomas Hickey's tenure, and there were other players in that tenure as well, um, we had teams offer us a first round pick. We had more than one team offer us a first round pick or the equivalent for the rights to Thomas Hickey before his final year with us. Um, particularly, uh, draft year plus one and draft year plus two when he was a uh, captain of Team Canada, his market value skyrocketed um, when he was when he was uh, captain of Team Canada at, at the uh, at the World Junior Championships. You, you wouldn't believe how much it skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of again. I don't know that I've ever said that before. And again, I was talking about. I think I was talking to Cohen. And I was talking about the statute of limitations running out on some stuff. Um, you know, I think I think it's okay to talk about that now. All the parties you know, are, 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 are established, you know, it's, I, I think it's okay to, to talk about more of what happened. And as I said, so there's an asset that fair enough, we, we reached uh, in the draft. Obviously we would have liked him to take, we'd have liked to take Thomas uh, at nine, 10 or, or, or 14. Um, simply, you know, we weren't experienced enough to work the draft that way back then. And, and the few calls we did make were rebuffed. Um, I think, I, you know, as I said, I, I think we learned from that. I think we would have been in a much better position to move back. Um, we got really nervous that he would be gone uh, at, at 21 and, and, and studying it and looking at the, the situation and, and reevaluating the draft and, and looking at drafts post and prior. Um, I don't think that would have been the case. I think his sweet spot would have been around 20 to 27. And I think 20, 21 would have gotten it done. And that wasn't an avenue we were willing to explore at that point because, you know, as I said, uh, you know, we, we didn't have the experience doing it. So um, we could have come out of that draft with Thomas at 21 and uh, another second round pick. And now all of a sudden, you know, as I said, the what ifs, but, but, but learning from that um, and then learning that, just because you like a guy doesn't mean everyone else likes the guy. And when you see him on the list, they, you know, there's outliers everywhere, but, but if you played the percentages, if you really read the drafts, if you really, you know, uh, we didn't explore going back further than uh, such a long time ago, let's say 12, it, it, it'd be in that area. Um, when there would have certainly been a market, I see once you, once you go back by 10 or 12, there would have certainly been a market for, for our first round pick at 14 at 16 at 19. Um, that's, that's, so that's the first mistake. And then, you know, as I said, you get offered multiple times, you get offered a first round pick or the equivalent for Thomas Hickey and you don't make the trade. And then you continue to minimize the asset to the point where he goes on waivers and you get nothing for him. And he winds up playing 450 games. It would have been far less of a tragedy if he didn't play in the NHL. Now the tragedy would have been picking him and making a mistake there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have been a different kind of tragedy, but you know, now it's, now it's compounded, um, by the fact that he plays 450 games, you know, 
in the NHL for another team and you get nothing for them. So now, you know, you have the, the drafting I just spoke of and, and, and the learning experience there. You have the mismanagement of the asset because you could have recouped his value and more at certain times. And then you have the final part of it where you lose him for nothing. So um, I, I think you could, uh, I think you, you or anyone listening can surmise how much I've actually thought about this uh, <laughs> over the last over the last twelve to, to, to fifteen years. So, um, you know that's that's part of the problem. So you, you look at the prospects now, and you know you I, I do the same thing now. Every single prospect we have, I go over my head, you know, and, and over my head saying, you know, you, you got to balance it. The other, the other thing is our philosophy is a little different. We don't. You know, we don't jam guys right into the lineup. Um, you know, uh, again, it's a very fun thing to do. Like, you know, you can, it, 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 I see it all the time. You can do the Stitzel versus Byfield. You can do the, you know, uh, all that stuff. You can do Raymond. Uh, you can do uh, Drysdale versus Cider, whatever you want to do. But um, but there's all kinds of different philosophies there, right? Like, uh, you know, they, they jam Stitzel in the lineup right away. And if he's minus three in the game and he's had a terrible defensive night, he goes out in the first power play. Uh, he plays, you know, whether whether he's playing 14 or 16 minutes a game, he's playing four minutes in the power play. So that's how they're doing it. That's their, that's their form of development for him. And then you have the byfield thing. He got injured, so that's fine. But but you have the development there of him playing in the American League. You know, of him, you know, and, and it's a slow, more slow burn development. Um, you know, you look at Kaliev uh, versus uh, Raymond. You know, uh, you got Raymond getting every first line thing and they don't give a shit if they win or lose, and that's fine. They're at a different spot. That's they're, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm saying both ways work. Um, but you know, they're jamming Raymond in, into the lineup on nights where he just doesn't have it. On nights where he's overmatched. On nights where he's made brutal defensive plays, and they're just jamming him in. And then you got Kaliev playing the fourth line role, and he takes a second power play, and you know he's learning the game a completely different way. I mean, if Kaliev had the opportunities Raymond had, how many goals would he have? Uh, you know, if he played first power play into the second, how many goals do we have? But, you know, as I said, which is better? I mean, at the end of the time, you know, people were worried about whether Kaliev would ever learn to defend, whether he'd ever learn to, you know, be hard enough on the wall or, or, or whether he ever care, about, care enough to, to play a 200 foot game. Well, Kaliev, that's, there you go. All the questions about Kaliev were answered in one year, you know, and, and he was worked on it and he was forced to work on it. So, you have two completely different methodologies of, of, of doing it. Um, you know, it's the same with our prospects. You got to make sure that, you know, these guys like, like Thomas or Jad or, or Fagamo, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's real easy to, to do Byfield and Clark and, 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 and guys like that, but you, you got to make sure that you maximize their development, maximize their asset value. Um, and that's a constant struggle because you give up what you have, you I mean like like the favor trade? Like, you know, what if favor goes out and he's a D two or he's a D one? What if you know? What if you hold on to him and he's a D six? Like, you know what I mean? All of that plays into it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you maximize asset value. If favor goes out, and and again, we love the kid. Uh, I hope he has a great career. I hope that I hope that he plays against us in the conference finals ten years in a row and loses. <laughs> um, so I hope I hope he has I hope he has a long playoff run every year. I hope he has a high level career, and I hope he just misses out each year because because he because he plays against us. Right. I root for the kid. I root for the kid. So um, 
so again, like, so you maximize that asset value. Now you don't worry what he turns into. You, you know what I mean? You no, know, he got your Fiala. Fiala is one of the pieces we need if we want to make the next step into contendership. Mm-hmm. So, um, that asset value was maximized and people don't want to lose them, including us, believe me. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was a, you know, if there were guys you didn't want to lose, you could put them on the short list. Mm-hmm. But that's how it, that's how it works. So I, I want to make sure that we maximize all our asset values. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a multitude of layers there, you know, from a uh, favorite type player all the way down to uh, Caleb Lawrence or, 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 or Sparks, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, and it's hard and, you know, it's a constant thing you're thinking about all the time. I'm thinking about it. Guys are coming up on waivers this year. I've mm-hmm. been thinking about that for two years. So, uh, <laughs> One more philosophical question before we get to the actual individual players. It has to do with goaltenders. Uh, just looking over the list, Christopher Gibson was the last goaltender drafted by the Kings to play in the NHL. That was back in 2011. Uh, wasn't even with the Kings. The last goalie drafted by the Kings to play for the Kings uh, would have been Bernier in 2006. Of course, you did develop Martin Jones, Cal Peterson. Uh, those were free agent signings. I'm just curious, how, how difficult is it to scout for goaltenders? And is the sort of preferred methodology at the present moment to go a different direction when looking for goaltenders? Uh, is it, you know, free agent signings or, you know, overage players, different things like that, maybe making a trade, signing a free agent. Uh, the, the point is, is drafting a goaltender just not the thing to do outside of that elite, elite goaltender. For example, I reported last year that you guys had tried to trade to get back into the first round to take the goaltender. Outside of that, is it is it just don't use draft capital on goaltenders right now? I don't like to deal in absolutes. Um, you know, I have a joke with Bernie. We never, ever, ever deal in absolutes. Ever. <laughs> that's our, yeah. We're, 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 that's our, uh, sure. that's the game. That's our game. That's our game we play, right? Like, okay. we never, uh, we, we never deal in absolutes. No, but, um, so, so yeah, we, like, I, I, there's a couple of things with goaltenders. Like, there's the fact that we haven't, you know, drafted a goaltender really high and stuff like that. Like, I can tell you this. Like, we met with Frederick Anderson. Uh, this is cool. I mean, we're going back a little. We met with Frederick Anderson, as you always do when you when you're when when a guy's in the draft and think about drafting. Um, he's going back in the draft after not signing with Carolina. Uh, we had Frederick Anderson in the very top uh, top tier of our list in the you know, not not a top ten pick, but we had him in our first what would coincide with our first round, and he was the only goalie in that tier. Um, and he flat out told us, he goes, "If you draft me, I'll stay in Europe." And we're like, well, that's fine. And he goes, don't, don't, don't call my bluff. I'm, I'm back. He, he went back in the draft because he wouldn't go to Carolina because they had Cam Ward. Well, our goaltending depth was a whole lot better than Carolina's at that time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, again, we, we, would, we had Bobrovsky. You know, same thing. You know, don't draft me. You know, so um, when you had Quick and Jones and Bernier, uh, drafting a goalie, you know, and it sucks because one day you have the deepest goaltending pool in the NHL. And then two years later, or three years later, you got the, the, the thinnest goaltending thing. And, and it's hard to, but, so you're hamstrung a little bit by that, by, by the elite tier of goalies. Now mm-hmm. it doesn't affect you with the mid-tier goalie, mm-hmm. but it's in, in evaluating this and, and, and really studying it. Um, you need a high level goalie to win a cup, except when you don't. It's like it's like uh, I liken it to the, the the football quarterbacks, right? Like, um, don't get me wrong, I want Brady all day long, but Trent Dilfer can win a Super Bowl. 
And mm-hmm. each year, you know, each year there's one of those quarterbacks who's a, a good quarterback, a solid, good quarterback, a, a one C, you know, a, a, that gets his team to the conference finals, gets them to the Super Bowl or wins the Super Bowl. I mean, it happens, you know, it, it happens multiple times. Um, so I liken it with the goalies. I mean, I don't want to diminish anything, but if you, uh, if you rank the top 10 goalies in the NHL, uh, the perception, whether they're right or not, the perception would probably not have Colorado's goalie in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they didn't try. You can go get him, right? Uh, you can go get, if you're Florida, you can go get Podrovsky. If you're uh, Carolina, you can go get Anderson because Toronto already got in. And they, like, you can get a goalie if you need to. Now, obviously, I would rather, I, I think it's smarter to develop players than it is to go out and get them, whether it's a goalie, a forward, or a D. But, you know, they're a very uncertain commodity. You look at goaltenders' uh, success rates in the second round and the third round, uh, they don't differ much from the fourth and fifth round. And they don't differ a whole lot from the sixth round. So, um, in terms of valuing that asset in a, in a, in a draft slot, I think I think the focus should be every year. I don't care. Same thing I told I told someone. I, if we had to draft six right-handed D this year and they're the best ones available, we'd do it. I'd draft a Spencer Knight. I would draft a, uh, I, I, you know, I would draft a Carey Price. I would draft, insert name here, um, in the first round every single year. Uh, a wall stat like we tried to move in for, for, the, for recency. Um, those guys, those guys project very well. Those guys make it. Those guys are uh, like Vasilevsky. Like like those guys, those guys are far less risk associated with them making it. Um, and I think that those guys are the players that you target to draft. Um, after that, you have to find guys that 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 mesh with your goaltending department. That, that you know fill the style and stuff like that. Um, that that they can you know similar to what we do with our development staff. Uh, and it's a little bit more projection-based. I mean, if you're drafting a goal in the third, fourth, fifth round, you're really looking at draft year plus six, draft year plus seven uh, before they make an impact, if they make it at all. Rarely do you see anybody draft year plus four and on that's not a high pick. It happens, but it's rare. So uh, philosophically, it's a whole lot harder to rationalize um, drafting goalies. In the, so we've drafted two in the third round, and, and they're good, but we've had, you know, they're, they're solid. They're, they're, they're solid prospects, but they're still not in a position to help us draft year plus four, draft year plus five. Um, so, I, again, you can go get Martin. It's not easy. You got to find Martin Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cal Peterson has to decide he doesn't want to be in Buffalo. Um, but we're also ready to get Cal Peterson because we start we we didn't stop scouting him just because he could draft it. Um, I think that's a, a pretty good way to do it. And if you can build one in the farm system, it's the ideal situation. If you don't, they don't seem to cost you a whole lot to get. And they don't seem to cost you a whole lot to, to sign. Um, so I, I do think there's a secondary market or a secondary way to get goaltenders if you don't draft them. All things being equal, I look down our prospect pool and I see a hole. Um, and the hole is in goaltenders. Um, you don't want any holes in your prospect pool. Uh, the Kings are fully cognizant that there's a hole in the prospect pool with goaltenders. Um, 
ideally that hole would get filled. Ideally, it would have been filled last year. Um, ideally, it would have been filled this year. But, you know, in terms of the goaltending depth this year, um, it's, you know, again, we'll see in five years, but it seemed like a down year. Uh, it seemed like you were going to, if you wanted a goal, you had to overdraft them. You had to go up. So, you know, that thought was made. There was, there was one goalie, two goalies we really thought had some value a little higher, not first round or obviously, but um, that we would have taken to try to help the prospect pool fill in a hole there. Um, but no, they, they, it wasn't, it wasn't to be. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about some of these players that were drafted this year. There were, uh, I believe seven draft picks. Anybody can tell us, uh, you know, including yourself and maybe you already have given interviews talking about, you know, their stats or where they're going to college or whatever. So g- give us something unique. Give us a funny story or talk about the process of getting to know the player, uh, you know, either at the rink, at Starbucks uh, or, you know, in their home, all those sorts of things that you've talked about with other players in the past. Um, but we'll start with Jack Hughes. Tell us about the process of getting to know Jack Hughes and, and preparing to draft him and, and kind of being lucky that he ended up being there as well. Yeah, I wish I could give you a funny story. You know, the only unique story, I will get to him. The only unique story, um, I would say, for this year's draft would be the kid we took last, Caleb Lawrence. Everything else was kind of uh, boring by the book. Uh, no real, you know, kind of like the draft was. You know, um, you know no real surprise or, or, or you know, I'd love to give you 10 funny stories about you know, uh, you know, running out of gas with Hughes in the car on the way to the rink, and you know, and he missed his northeastern game. And the coach is mad. It's, it's none of that happened. Like it was all by the book stuff with him. Like, like you know, uh, our guys have a really good relationship with with college coaches, and then some of the college coaches they have even better relationships with. One of the guys we have a good relationship with is Keith. So, um, he, you know, this is this is a guy he tells us we have to draft. Now, coaches do that all the time. Um, but you know, he's a straight shooter. He's, he, they get it. They do things the right way there. Um, you know, Tony went in and met him. Teddy went in and met him multiple times, talked to the coaches, hockey family. Like, as I said, it was, it was by the book. Like, you know, it, it was by the book, a lot of detail. Um, and again, I, I think I told the kid, I was like, fuck, it's no fun inter- interviewing you. And they get really stressed out. Like, what do you mean it's no fun interviewing me? I'm like, ah, boring. Like, there's, there's no dirt like you know this you, you know no you don't need your you know you, you need your a game when you're talking to some guys and some guys you don't i mean you know i think the only thing this kid doesn't do is read the orphans uh you know on thanksgiving um no as i said like, I, you know I'm, I'm making i'm making light of it he's he's a kid who works really hard he's a kid who wants to realize his potential he's a kid that the coaches love um so in terms of the character assessment part of it um you know, you just go, you just go as far down as you want. A to, a, a, a to F, A to Z. There's no, all boxes are checked. Um, you know, and character means a lot different things to a lot different people. Um, but the most important thing for him is he wants to, he wants to get the most out of his potential. Um, and, you know, he's not a big guy yet. Um, he was at a disadvantage in almost every situation he was in last year. He doesn't give a shit. You know, um, doesn't care. I think uh, one of his teammates told said said, said something like right? he faced off against a guy who was eight years older than him. Shit, think wow. about that for a second. Wow, you know, and the guy gave it to him pretty good, and he just fucking smiled and went right back at him. So 
those are the things that are that are harder to measure. Like I can tell you how good skating is, how good his skills are, you know, mm-hmm. offensive production. But but those are the things, and, and I said, and that's one of the things you get down to when you're talking, when you're when you're learning about a kid's character. You can't just you know interview the kid and ask what his parents do, and you know you know you plan on training in the summer. You know that's those are some of the things that you need to dig a little deeper to get. So that would probably be the only thing. Like hearing some of his teammates talk about him. Um, you know, and, and, and the, you know, stuff like that, 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 that's pretty unique. Uh, it's hard for a kid at, at his age to, to do what he did. I mean, he should have been playing in the USHL putting up 80 points, but, um, no, nah, so that's, as I said, nothing unique about any of the, of, of the first couple guys. They were all, all literally, uh, all A plus kids, um, all wanting to reach their potential. All of them showed growth, um, uh, especially after, you know, especially when you get to 103, all of them showed growth this year. All of them added uh, elements to their games offensively. All of them, you know, showed growth in multiple areas, but particularly offensively. So, uh, as I said, until you get, and, and the only unique story is when you get to Caleb, when you get to Lawrence. All right, so we'll try to get down there, uh, but, but but a few others here. Um, you mentioned the relationship with the coach, and obviously when you have a good relationship with the coach, you can get a little bit, uh, well, you're either going to get a coach who's pumping the kid's tires or you're going to uh, at least be able to get transparency because you're able to go deeper on, on some topics. But without naming a player, has there ever been a scenario that's the opposite where you're really interested in a player and then after talking to a coach, you become less interested? Not so much that the coach said, don't draft this kid, he's a bad apple or whatever, but just you didn't like what you heard or there was enough to sway you in, in talking to a coach or no? How about a coach that don't draft this kid, he's a bad apple? That's happened. Really? Like, I don't know that he used I don't know. I don't know to use such vitriolic language, you know, and bad apple. I don't know. He went, you know, he was really that that intense and mean. He might have said, you know, something a little less mean about the kid, bad apple. Um, no, we've had we've had coaches. Uh, we've had coaches. Here's what I thought: very few coaches are. The honest isn't the right word because all the coaches believe what they say. They they very very few times ask a coach about a kid. And you're going to get, oh, he's a great, great kid, works hard, great in a lot. You know, um, coaches pump their guys' tires all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that they're being dishonest. You know, it's hyperbole. You know, they think the kids are really, you know, they like their kids. So they're going to talk about their kids. You know, very few, if a coach has a kid on his team he doesn't like, he's usually fucking traded. Right. Right. Like, right. like, like so, so, you know what I mean? Like, like very few times when you're, you know, now you get to the draft, you're talking about the top of the top. Like, like very few times. And, but at, no, we've had, on multiple scenarios, we have had coaches say, this is not the type of kid you want on your team. But that's rare. Okay. It's rare. But it has happened. All right. Uh, when I get to your next pick, uh, let's first talk about how you ended up there because you traded out of 86. So if you came into the year with the idea of adding a couple of extra picks and trading down, you couldn't do that at 51. My word's not yours. You couldn't do it because Jack Hughes fell to you. You didn't expect him there. You get to 86. How, how early on that day at what pick number or in what range are you like, yeah, we're definitely trading this 86 pick or did it just happen to come together with a phone call at the very end? Um, it became, as I said, I made it pretty clear. We'd love to move up from 51 before the draft started. 51 is not the sweet spot in the draft. Mm -hmm. Um, we were very fortunate for, for a guy like Hughes, a player of his caliber to fall. Um, I don't like to rely on fate to determine our picks. Um, so we were fortunate and things worked out well there. But it became very obvious very quickly. Um, you know, as, as I said before, like at 51, we don't have the ammunition to move up. I'm, we're going to try, but 
I, I think I was pretty honest saying that the likelihood that we'd be able to move up at 51 as we had in years past was, if not infinitesimal, it was, it was going to be very hard. Um, and it became obvious to us very quickly that we had no chance. We made calls the night before to five separate teams. Three of them had zero interest in moving back, no matter what, which, again, it doesn't surprise me. They probably had the same tier of guys that we had the same. You know, and they know they're going to be gone at 51, so why the hell would they move back? Um, so that was, as I said, 51 was, was we knew what happened. Um, I thought we'd be able to move back a little easier from 51, but that didn't come to play. Um, but at 86, 86 was shocking to me. Like, um, I had fully anticipated going into the draft that we would move back from 86. I had four or five players in mind that I was relatively sure we could get in the 93 to 105 range. Um, and by pick 60, it was very obvious that the opposite was going to happen. That not only will we not have that tier of player available between 95 and 103, that tier wasn't going to be available at 86. They were fucked. They were going. It was just like boom, boom. I'd never seen. I, 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 we've never seen anything like this in a draft where our list just, just the only draft that was even close to this was the Tanner Pearson draft, and that that went like crazy for like one to, you know, our, our, like one to forty, like one to fifty. It was nuts, and then it settled down, and we got, got you know. But this, as I said, at about sixty, you know, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I, I said, they're like, we got to move up. Like, you know, and we had scenarios in place to move up, obviously. We don't, you know, so we started uh, the process of the teams we had identified and we had talked to the night before. Um, nothing. No, they, 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 again, I'm shocked that we couldn't, we couldn't move up from 86 to 79. Like that, moving up in the third round is usually easy. You, you know, you usually got teams wanting to move, but you know, you usually got four opportunities to move back in the third round. And a lot of times you don't, um, we, we, we just whiffed like, air, air. Every time we every time we contacted a team, they didn't want to hear the offer. You know, um, they didn't want to hear the offer. Wow. We were picking eighty six. You know, eight, were you picking eighty six? No. You know, uh, we have picked eighty six. No. It's, so I was that one caught me off guard. Uh, we were prepared for the scenario of moving up or back, but I was unprepared for having that much of a necessity to move up. Um, it, and it's, as I said, you know, we we have, we have some really unique tools to predict uh, to predict the draft. You also have the tools, just you know, previous drafts, knowing what type of guys go. Um, by fifty, we we were really sure that our tiers of players weren't going to be there at eighty six, and they weren't. Um, and that was frustrating. It was really frustrating. Uh, you know, and then we presented an opportunity to move back with Tampa that wasn't. It wasn't a one, you know, I would have wanted more. I would have wanted to move back to, you know, to 95, you know, to 90, you know, and, and, and pick up something a little better. But quite frankly, the, there, there just weren't a whole lot of offers. Mm-hmm. And we, after our draft list went like it did, and the guys got picked before 86, we thought that, uh, we thought we'd have a very similar tier of player available to us at 103. Um, and we were right. A uh, very similar tier of player was available to us at 103. Uh, it was a full. It was a few tiers down than what we would have gotten at 80. You know, at uh, if we'd moved up from 86. Um, but the fact of the matter is, we couldn't. So it didn't make sense for us to pick 
a guy at 86 that we were most likely going to pick at, at 103. Uh, so we moved back. All right, here's what we're going to do. Yank, I know you still have a ton to talk about. I still have a laundry list of questions. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back on the other side of this uh, intermission here, and we will have more with Mark Yanetti. Welcome back, third period, kings of the podcast. Let's keep the train rolling. Keep this conversation with Mark Unetti going. Here's my hardest hitting question of the entire day. Uh, when I saw the name Kenny Connors, it reminded me of Mikey Anderson and some of the jokes about, okay, when do you lose the Mikey and become Mike or Michael? So I guess I'll ask that question. When does Kenny need to lose the the Kenny name and become Ken or Kenneth or something, uh, something similar to that? See, I think of it the opposite. I think he has to earn... I, I think right now it's Ken. I think right now it's Ken or Kenneth. Okay. You know, when you, when, when Mikey is, Mikey is Mikey. Mikey's is he going to be, like, be Mikey forever though? Like if the Kings were ever lucky enough so. to win the Stanley cup, is this, you know, Stanley cup champion, Mikey Anderson. Is that how it's going to be? Fucking right. It should be. <laughs> right. Mikey. If, if he's a Stanley cup champion, he can call himself whatever the hell he wants. Fair point. You no. Know? So Grand Poobai Anderson, I don't care what he calls himself. You know, if he helps us win a cup, you get the you get two. You know what? He can spell it with two Y's, or you know what? He can spell it with an I with a heart over it. Whatever he wants to do, you can be you can be Mikey any way you want when you uh when you when, you know when you win a cup. He's already earned, Mikey's already earned the Y. Now you know. Now we can change it to a symbol like Prince if we want a cup. No, I'm going two Y's. From now on, I'm only going to spell it Mikey Anderson with two Y's. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. Hey, listen, this guy call like, call someone whatever they want to be called. But um, once you once you make the NHL, uh, you are in the you you are in the Y. All right, that's, so that's how so, I think of it. so Ken Connors coming out of the USHL <laughs> again. Back to uh, back to Gaspo. Uh, this is a player who was heavily scouted, and I would assume that Gaspo knew very well. And there was a lot of uh, comfortability taking him at one hundred three. Yeah, this is this is a guy we we really we really knew. Uh, he's a draft year. No, he's a, he's a past. He's a draft year plus one. Um, he had an excellent year offensively, uh, and. He's always been a good defensive player. He's always been a, a competitive player. Uh, one of the reasons we, you know, he was on our radar last year. Uh, one of the reasons we wouldn't have taken him last year was because, uh, you know, he's a low, last year would have looked at him as a lower ceiling type guy. Um, pigeonholed into a very bottom role. And this year, you know, he started to show some things that, you know, as I said, when you read these scouting reports, they said, we, you know, it's not just what's happening that day, but things they're looking for, um, things they think he might be able to do. Like, you know, if you look at Fagamo's reports draft year when he doesn't get drafted and draft year plus one, they really mesh well. Um, you know, it's a, it's, we think he has the ability to do this. He hasn't shown the willingness to do it. We think he has the ability to do this, but he hasn't shown the drive to do this. So um, things like that were in in a much different way because Connors has always been a, a higher level competitor more towards the offensive side of having a less one dimensional defensive game. Uh, and he started to do that earlier in the year and you started to see growth and you started to see 
as I said, they, we really, really like his defensive game, his structure. We love the fact that he's a, 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 he has some power tendencies and some higher-level competitive tendencies in this game. He's got straight-line speed uh, to go along with some of the power in his base. Um, that's awesome. You know, uh, you get that in free agency. You can sign that out of college. Uh, but now he started to show a little bit more of a nose for the net. A little bit, you know, his skill in traffic got better. His ability to make plays in traffic and his ability to, um, well, I don't think he's a creative playmaker by any means. He was making more distribution type plays, more possession driving plays, more plays coming up the ice. So seeing growth in multiple areas of his game and having it mesh with what they wanted to see the year before, um, you know, that puts the kid on our radar early. And now you start focusing on him a little more and more. Um, I, I think in a traditional draft, he probably goes one round later for us. Uh, but as I said, um, this is a guy, obviously Tony and Teddy uh, did the majority of the legwork on him, especially in the first half of the year. But this is a player that multiple scouts on our staff saw multiple times and all said the same thing about. So now your confidence in terms of the evaluation is high. And, you know, as I said, in the fourth round, um, he had a lot of the attributes we think, uh, you know, you need to, to have to, to, to make it from around, you know, or position in the draft where it's harder to, it's harder to get NHL games. So this next player, um, I'm really excited to talk about uh, for two key reasons. Number one, his name is Angus Booth, and the Kings have never had a player named Angus, and being a music aficionado, can't even say the word, uh, but very, very happy to have an Angus in the uh, LA Kings prospect pool, but also because the Kings don't go fishing in the Quebec League very often. Uh, so we talked earlier about Rutu and taking European players, but I'm not even sure if Nick Sinclair has had to do much work, uh, who I believe is the amateur scout that uh, handles the Quebec area. I know that, that Bernie was promoted to director of CHL scouting, what, a year or two ago. Maybe it's been longer now. Again, time is irrelevant. But I'm assuming Nick was pretty happy that you guys went to the queue, uh, to, the queue to pick up this kid. You know, it's funny, Nick. Uh, I don't want – Nick's awesome. Uh, he doesn't give a shit where we draft the players. <laughs> um, we, no, 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 no. Again, that sounds weird, but – there's some good in that too. Like, you know, you know, like, like, like there's a passion that comes from Tony and, and drafting players from his area because he feels strongly about them and he knows them well. Like, I mean, um, so there's a passion that comes through because that's his personality. Nick's personality is more measured, more matter of fact, um, you know, less area driven, which is, which again, either one of the approaches works. It's just, it's, it's it's unique uh, in terms of our staff. So now hold um, on, hold on though, Yank, hold on. I have I have promoted you many times as the smartest man in hockey, and what I just did in, is I read between the lines. I need to get this Nick Sinclair guy, who I don't believe I've ever met. Probably have seen him at the rink and just didn't know it was him. But I need to get him on the podcast because I think that he is outsmarting you. I think that he's heard you enough talk <laughs> about that you don't like scouts that slam their fist on the table and demand that they take their guy. So Nick, he's just doing he's uh, using reverse psychology on you here. Yank. I don't think so because he could have reversed it. Uh, he could have reversed it right near the. Uh, there's a, there's another pick he could have reversed it. I won't give it away. But um, no, you should you should uh, you should have Nick on your podcast, and then the uh, the other fifty nine minutes and twenty six <laughs> seconds uh, you could you could have something else. Uh, someone else go on. You can play music. No, you can play music. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't think I'd get to give Nick a shot on your podcast. I'm gonna have to tell him. I'm gonna have to tell him to listen to it now. No, yeah. 
Um, oh, so believe it, me, it, Nick it, listens to the podcast. Everybody <laughs> likes to say that they don't listen and they don't read. Yank, they all listen and they all read. That's 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 what I've learned through the years. I can tell you this. Like, I had to, you know, here's something I'll tell you. I had to make a deal with myself because I was fucking driving myself crazy sometimes early on in my uh, early on in my tenure. And like, in Toronto, I didn't read anything. Like, I didn't, you know, it, 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 I was I, I was removed from things in a certain way. Um, in LA, once you become it's in the amateur side. It's weird. It's different. Uh, you get protective of players. I, I, did, I was, I was unexpected. Uh, that was an unexpected thing that happened. Um, cause in Toronto it was more of a mercenary feel cause we were always getting free agents. We were always letting guys go. I was running some of the pro stuff. I was doing some advanced scouting. Um, there wasn't as much of an emotional attachment. And when I came to LA, it was the same way. And by the end of the year, when I was, when I was running the amateur stuff, um, instead of the pro stuff, um, there became this weird protectionism and I, I never really read stuff before. And then I, I don't know if it was LA Kings insider or one of those things I was reading. And one of the fucking fans said something about one of the guys we drafted. And, I, and then, I, you know, and, and then, and, and, no, I'm serious. Don't you hey, listen? I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, you created a burner account and started arguing with the guy. <laughs> no, I never, you know what? I, I thought about that. Right. And then I was like, I, I was like, but then that's just fucking, that's, just, that's, that's you know, next like, level. Be an honorable person. Well, be an honorable person. Don't be a weasel and create a burner account. Right. Like, and then I'm like, you know, it got to the point, like I'm not, I'll, I'm, I'm dead serious. It got to the point that, I think it was the second year I was doing it. Got to the point where uh, my wife asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I was like, you know what I want for Christmas? And I gave her a list of seven names online. I said, I want you to find out their fucking address so I can go to the house and fucking slap them. Like, like it, no, I'm not lying. It came to that point in my life. And, and, and at that point, and, and at that point in my life, I'm like, all right, all right, maybe this is, maybe this is not a healthy thing for me to be doing. So, um, so now I'm, I'm serious. Like I, I had never, I had never, like I had never felt that way about our players before. Like, but all of a sudden, like you know, someone calls Wayne Simmons the worst pick in the draft, and I'm like, oh my god, if these guys only knew what Wayne Simmons was, wait, you know what? Uh. These fucking guys, when Wayne Simmons finally shows them what they are, and then you know, and, and you know, because we knew, you know, yeah. we knew what he was going to be. So uh, at that point, I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm not going to read with these. So. I now have a rule with myself. I can only look at what's said online uh, twice a year for five days. So, oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I do. No, I'm dead serious. And then, but I listen. I find the podcasts and stuff. I listen to. I listen to all that. That's a little less. As I said, I think on the blogs or the some of those, even our even our LA Kings Insider site. I think. Uh, I, I think people enjoy the negativity and. Uh, what what kind of feelings and vitriol the negativity brings? It's an it's an instant high. You know, mm-hmm. I get fucking mad thinking about it right now. So you know, <laughs> I can go back and pick out three accounts. I still want to slap. Um, Let's get you refocused. Back to back to so, Angus Booth coming out of the yes. coming out of the Quebec League. Um, yes. Anything on Angus? No, he's as I said. I, I, we had a couple guys like this. I mean, he 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 had an excellent first half of the season. Uh, and then he gets a high ankle sprain and misses considerable time. Then he comes back and sprains the other ankle. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I know it sucks. And he's established himself as a young guy in Quebec, which is, you know, it's hard to establish yourself. He's on some first power play, some second power play in the first half of the season on a team that's really good. And then that team's going for it, uh, for the Memorial Cup where they end up, they end up being champion. Um, 
So he hurts himself just as he's finally established himself in that top four and sometimes even a little better. And now he's out for a prolonged period of time as the team is acquiring players to help them, older players, good players, to help them win the Memorial Cup. Now he's going to come back into a lineup that he finally established himself in and work his whole way back into it. Mm-hmm. And it's a better lineup. And then he gets hurt again. Oh. Um, so his second half of the season was a little bit down uh, production-wise, performance-wise, and the ability to, to even be on the ice uh, in the second. But he still managed to get himself back in the lineup after missing considerable time and play in a top-five role uh, for a team that won the Memorial Cup. Uh, we think there's a lot of value in that. Uh, if his game with the puck is what it was in the first half, uh, we think it's a we, we think it's a high-value pick because he should have gone uh, earlier. And then you throw in the fact that he dealt with adversity and forced his way through it in the second half. So you've now got that added bonus. Um, you know, if you know if he can get back in there stay healthy and show that he was, you know, that player who was transitioning to a, a, a first power play guy in the Quebec league early. Um, we already know we can deal with adversity and push through things. And I think that's one of the things you need in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So you throw in, uh, you know, you throw in the fact that, you know, as I said, it would have been nice to see a full season of his first half and, and, the, and his production and his ability to, you know, to, to transition the puck and play there. But if that were the case, it probably wouldn't have been there in the first. You know, he probably would have gone a couple rounds earlier. So, you know, as I said, there's a couple guys we drafted here that have some uncertainty uh, that have shown some things. He would be one of them. Uh, Salim would be similar. Um, And, you know, if he approaches what he was in the first half and he stays healthy, oh, it's a pretty good pick. All right, so I'm going to skip over Otto, though, because uh, he was the one European player. We'll try to get Rue to. He's in town this week for development camp. We'll try to get uh, Roots on the program and, and give Perfect. him his moment of glory to talk about that one player and how he was bored the rest of the draft. Um, that's how I'll serve it up to him. We'll see how he reacts. Uh, well, except for the fact <laughs> that there were Euros right around six, you know what I mean? Like, yes. like right around 51, there was a Euro we had really high. I'm not going to say where, because then you'll, you know, all these sleuths will figure it out. But there was a Euro that we had some high feelings for as well, you know, like Hughes. Um, but there was a Euro there who was picked relatively close to 51 that, that we would have liked. So. Okay. Uh, so let's get He wasn't on. bored. Let's just leave it that way. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't imagine him ever being bored. Um, but, you know, the, the, the root stories are never ending. So we'll, we'll do easy an hour with him, even though there was only one Euro that was picked. Uh, so uh, we're going to get to the Lawrence story, but I'll, I'll get, you only get to pick one. So you either have Jared Wright or Jack Sparks. My issue with Sparks, uh, much like Kenny Connors, and I you know, need to fix the name, Sparks, we need to get to the bottom of why there's an extra E in there. Nobody spells Sparks that way, so we're going to have to have him on the program and figure out what the deal, deal is there with Sparks spelled E-S. That's going to be misspelled forever. Uh, Jared Wright, Jack Sparks, what, what's a good story on one of those kids? Um. I don't know. It didn't have any. You know, there's a good story on Sparks. It didn't have anything to do with us drafting him. But uh, okay, uh, uh, Rob Bl- Rob Blake uh, re- uh, got in an elevator. Fuck, I'm gonna butcher the story. But we, we, it was funny because we were talking after uh, after the pick. Um, but uh, twice twice before the draft, he got into an elevator. Once Sparks was the only person on it with him. And then once Rob was the only person in the elevator and Sparks got in. So, uh, you know. It was destiny. Uh, it's destiny, right? Yes. So, 
So, you know, again, no, no, no one, no one actually saw Sparks play this year, but he was in an elevator twice <laughs> with Rob. So, no, I was just, it's, so, no, that's, it's, so that's it's, why he gets picked. He's in the elevator. He's six eight, and Blakey, knowing that he needs to add some size to the team, goes back to the to the uh, to the scouts and says, "That's our guy, six eight, Jack Sparks." By the way, it's E S. He said to the scouts. Yeah, except for the fact that it happened after we picked him. So, oh, after it was so, after. I mean, oh, it's too no, late then. No, no, I heard the story after we picked him. So. <laughs> No, Never no, let no. the facts get in the way of a good story, though, Yank. No, I know, but no, no. As I said, he's an easy guy to, you know, you, you, you're drafting. The other thing, too, one of the philosophies, I don't want to say we transitioned to, but it was in the back of our mind. As I said, you have multiple philosophies going into a draft. Otherwise, you leave yourself prone if you have just one. But um, looking at our prospect pool, it's not a bad idea to have some guys that are marinating or, 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 or you know, more than more than the typical junior progression out, you know, the, the three-year got to be signed, got to be in the American League. Um, it's not a bad idea to have some of these guys pushed out so when they come in, when a guy comes in right out of the junior league, is it takes them a little while to get up to speed. When a guy comes out of college, even though they're, even though they're rookies at the same time, the guy in college is usually two or three years older. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an easier transition. It's uh, they're more ready prospects sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, for every guy like Spence, which is a wonderful thing. You know, it, it's easier for I to follow. You know, it's just it's just a fact of the matter. It, mm-hmm. It's easier for an older guy to transition in than than a younger guy. So uh, having four or five of these type of players that you can develop over the course of multiple years, and then when you do sign them, they come in and they're not ready-made pro, you know, players, but but they're much further along in their in their physical and, and, and overall development. These guys should be ready, um, even though they'll be similar, you know, similar age to when they're coming in. Uh, they'll be coming in two years later. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think that helps balance out the field. You have you have while your age distribution looks the same, the development curve is different because you've got guys in college two years longer. You got guys in college three years longer. So, you know, the age the age distribution chart on what your prospect pool looks like is very linear and flat, but the actual developmental age is staggered out two, three years. That uh, makes sense. Uh let's, yeah. get, let's get to Caleb Lawrence. Uh, oh, by the way, though, I, I think that uh, with with Lawrence, who is at six six, uh, he's a forward, and then you have Andre Lee, you have Hellenius. That's rounded out the the group of six six and above guys, and then uh, the defenseman that we were just talking about there a moment ago in uh, in Jack Sparks. He's six foot eight, so you need one other guy so that the, there can be a five man unit of six six and above. I don't believe there's another defenseman in the pool that's six uh, six besides or or taller than Sparks. Is there? No, but what we were planning on doing is getting one of those really long overcoats and having Spence, <laughs> having Spence put on Noisman's shoulders, yeah, uh, and then and then they'll actually be slightly taller than Sparks by an inch or two. Maybe. So that was that, yeah, that was one of that was one of the thoughts. <laughs> we can do it that way. Oh, it's really too bad. It's really too bad because uh, you might want to go the other way because you want to have Spence as the lower guy. He's really good with the stick and uh, his skating is phenomenal. So put Noisen in up top. Maybe that's just uh, that's yeah. Maybe maybe we'll do it that way. Flip but it. 
let those guys let those guys battle royal it out. <laughs> yeah, that would be, but that would be great to have a five man unit that's six six or above. It would be like a basketball team that would be out there going up and down the ice. So uh, that's your that's your mission for next year. Find a another right. defenseman six six or taller. Uh, in all seriousness, though, Caleb Lawrence, um, the kid only played two games last year. So you talked earlier about a player, you know, missing time with multiple injuries. The kid plays two games, but you've seen enough of him that you thought, yeah, let's take him. Well, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you we're not dealing with frighteningly incomplete information. We are. Um, I've made it clear. People talk about swings. They took a swing. Taking swings is stupid for the most part. Um, Taking swings means you're just, you're you're blindly doing something. You're swinging. doesn't matter. Um, This would probably, as much as they don't like it, this would probably filter itself more towards the swing level of of pick. Um, But in saying that, so this kid, just the background on this kid, um, the Ontario guys missed the whole season with COVID. It doesn't matter, you know, unless you were Clark and went over to play in Europe or Pinelli or, or Othman and those guys who went over and played. Um, you know, if you were lucky enough to get on the uh, under-18 team and play six games, that was your season. So that was a shitty thing for those guys, but that's life. So this kid misses the COVID year. Uh, and then he gets hurt here at his shoulder in training camp. I think he heard it at Columbus's camp, but he heard it real early in the season. Um, and uh, right off the bat, and he was done for the year. So there's very little uh, to go on in terms of recent performance. That being said, Brian Denny worked in Owen Sound, and he knew of this kid early on. Draft year minus two, draft year minus one, he had scouted him. Um, you know, he had seen him play in the U-17 black team, I think, for Ontario uh, you know, he had seen him play in some of the lower, not low, higher midget leagues, but lower level of hockey in the midget league. So he was not unfamiliar with him. Um, he had some strengths and some concerns for him going forward that he wanted to see addressed in draft year minus one, draft year, and then this year would have been draft year plus one um, that you weren't able to see. But then this the cool part of the story is uh, Chris Byrne had, found out that they were doing some skill work and some on-ice sessions and some practices. So Chris Byrne actually went down and watched this kid's practices and his skill sessions with his skill coach and, and such. And some of the, you know, some, some of the little shinny five-on-five scrimmages that they do in, in situations like that. So Chris Byrne actually was able to see him, albeit in a very static environment, he saw him play and saw that some of the things that Brian had noted earlier seemed to have gotten better. Um, and some of the things that Brian ordered the strength also looked better. And uh, we, so what we did is we invited him, you know, we invited him to camp uh, because this is the exact type of guy you bring to camp, you know, like, like McDermott. And you say, you know, what, is there something here where we want to take him out of the pool and develop him ourselves, which is what we did with McDermott. We didn't put him back in. We did it with Radko Gudish. We signed, I don't know if people know this, we signed Radko Gudish uh, the third day of our development, not rookie camp. We signed Radko Gudish the third day of our development camp uh, based on information the NHL gave us. And then a month and a half later, they uh, revoked the contract and said it was invalid. They still don't know how they did it, and he ended up going in the draft. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was the thought of what we would do with, with Caleb Lawrence. So, Two months ago, we, re- you know, six weeks ago, we reached out to him to uh, guarantee him a spot in our development camp, our rookie camp, and then give him a few games or a few days. I'm sorry, a few days in our main camp. That's what we usually do. Uh, but he was already committed to another NHL team's camp. 
another NHL team had a similar thing with him as we did with Brian and, and Chris Byrne. Um, obviously, they knew him and they they beat us to that punch. Uh, and they had his name on the camp. So the fact of the matter is, if we wanted him, we couldn't invite him to camp. So we drafted him. Figured a seventh round pick uh, is worth the low percentage chance um, that we can see him, we can have him for three years, we can develop him and not have him go to another team's camp and miss out on him. So the seventh round pick was the cost of sitting and waiting another year. Um, and as I said, he, he possessed some unique things. So it was it was a unique scenario. Obviously, we would have liked to have gotten him in development camp uh, and it would have made life real easy. You get a four-month evaluation and then you determine if you want to sign him or not. And it costs you nothing. It costs you a plane ticket in and a hotel. So uh, that would have been the ideal situation. But as I said, he was already going somewhere else. So we grabbed the seventh round pick and said, you know what, let's, uh, as I said, let's see what's there. And, you know, as as I said, in the seventh round, you're looking at uh, a 2.7% chance of a guy making the NHL. Uh, It seemed like a worthwhile cost to. you know, to take one of those more swing-based picks. Yank, we uh, the timer has gone off. We could talk to you for two more hours. I have <laughs> 70 more questions to ask you. So um, I'm assuming there's going to be a little bit of downtime for you, and then you're going to get back to work. So so uh, we'll have to reschedule you for – not reschedule you, but add you to the schedule later this summer. We'll have you back on, and uh, we can go a little bit deeper. How does that sound? Yeah, whatever you want. We'll have to, we work on Tony's replacement tomorrow, so we should have a guy in place by the time we talk again. So. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, uh, get Tony. There's, there's our going away party, or has that already happened? Is it good? Is it gone? Uh, it, it was hard to do with this draft. Um, there'll be, uh, there'll be like, what, what? It won't be a going away party because I, I think a bunch of us, like, I, I'll see Tony five, ten times this year, mm-hmm. and I, I forget. He'll, he'll next time we talk, and we'll tell you how he always kicks my ass and bets. I owe him a steak or two, a steak dinner or two, so. I'm assuming Sioux Falls has good steaks with all the cows. I think they have more cows than people in Sioux Falls. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but but I'm I'm pretty sure that that's a that's an accurate stat. More cows than people sounds right. So we'll go there and we'll go there and butcher a cow and have a steak dinner. Sounds fantastic, Yank. Have a great one. Always appreciate your time. Thank you so much, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Bob, talk to you guys. Thanks to all the listeners for tuning in to this edition of Kings of the Podcast. We have more guests and more episodes coming up in the weeks ahead. We look forward to chatting with you then. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.